You're tuned in to the 49th Hour Podcast. 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 What's up, everybody? I'm I'm Zach. We got Jordan, Tommy. How you guys doing today? Doing good. Better than last night. <laughs> Less drunk. Less drunk. <laughs> okay, can we talk about how that that uh, countdown song is actually a banger? I know. I was like, how is he getting through the entire time? Get you in the fucking zone, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So how about um, you know last night? You guys want to talk about that? I mean, yeah, I'll lead it off. Uh, you know, I think that I wasn't surprised in the slightest. I picked the Bills to win by ten. They ultimately ended up winning by ten. I thought it would be a little less high scoring. I thought the defense would hold up a little bit better than it did. Ultimately, then you know they unfortunately did not. Uh, it seemed like the Bills really just had their way, and that big play ability was really apparent, where they kind of could just get those huge chunk plays. And it really put the 49ers in a position where they were having to respect the deep ball so much that I don't think they were able to send the blitzes and send the pressures that ideally they would have. I, I have to imagine they planned for going into the game. I think that a lot of people were really riding the high of the, you know, win last week. And one thing I said all week, you know, we talked about on the pod last week with Jason was I was not impressed by their win over the Rams because they've just owned the Rams. It's a divisional game. It's an opponent they're familiar with. So I wasn't putting that much stock into it, and I wanted to see them beat a quality team they weren't familiar with, and quite the opposite happened. The Bills beat the brakes off of them. They won in all three phases, and they're a great football team. The 49ers in their current state are not, so I really hope that people understand going forward that they need to take this one game at a time because one thing that kind of was, you know, it was making me laugh. It wasn't even irritating. It was just kind of funny. It was people were talking not only just about the playoffs, but about a Super Bowl run, NFC Championship game, and I'm like, dude, they got to – get a single win before you can start talking about that. You know, they beat, they won, they won one game out of their last four and you're talking about them going to the Super Bowl all of a sudden, you know, and no offense to Nick Mullins, Nick Mullins is still quarterback in the team, you know, and they're not getting back a lot of the guys. They did get back a good amount of players, but they're still not getting back post. So they're still not getting back forward. And I just think that last night they kind of showed you who they really are going forward. And ultimately 2020 is going to be a season that's just, you know, going to go down in history as one that just wasn't their year. And, you know, everything that kind of could have gone wrong did go wrong. Yeah, I think I'm uh, pretty guilty of just riding that wave of we'll get to the playoffs and then, you know, we'll just kind of go from there, like just step by step. Because, I mean, we've the team has just overcome so much adversity over the season. Just, I mean, with the fires, the injuries, COVID, obviously. I mean, everyone's dealing with COVID. But, I mean, I'd say the 49ers are one of like probably the top five teams that are hit pretty hard about it or from it because just uh, we had the Packers game where we had like, what, three starters that just – got dropped on the list and we couldn't even play them. So, um, and then like the next day they were activated off of it. So don't know what the deal was there. Um, and then of course we had the news of them getting on the plane and as they were getting on the plane, they found out, you know, the 
Santa Clara news of the band and all that sort of thing. Then we had to move to Arizona and I mean, like just so much has happened. So it would have been so impressive just to see them, you know, win the bills game, you know, beat Washington, hopefully, and then the Cowboys and then, you know, kind of go from there, but, uh, and just make the playoffs from it. But I mean, it's, it's so much as it been uh, a hurdle for this year, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So last night I, I expected kind of, I kind of expected a closer game. To be honest, I, I expected the offense to be kind of bad and the defense to you know, keep doing keep doing what they usually been doing the rest of the season. It was pretty much flip flopped last night, and uh, <laughs> and it's just like Mullins did actually did fine. He he made some good he made some really good throws. He did he made some bad throws. Um. But overall, he was he was pretty he was pretty uh, okay. Um, Ayuk and Debo are are still amazing receivers. Um, the defense, I just don't know what happened to them. They they were just tired. You can tell they were tired. In, like in the fourth quarter, even in the third quarter, late in the third quarter, they were kind of tired. And I think that's what really. Um, Kind of mess him up too because I th- I think Moore had a bad honestly the whole secondary had a bad night Moore uh, Sherman did have a bad night Red had kind of bad night but you can't you kind of expect that when there's like zero pass rush as well Josh Allen had all day to throw the ball he was comfortable and he could do where he wanted and I know that Niners, uh, excuse me. <clears throat> I know Niners usually struggle against the uh, mobile quarterbacks, but he only ran like one real run um, last night, and that was like in the fourth quarter. So that tells you how bad the pass rush was last night. Yeah, I mean Nick Mullins, he he definitely didn't lose the game. Um, I mean he he had oh what was it? Let me see. He was 26 for 39, 316 yards, three touchdowns, and two picks. I mean, he didn't throw the game away, and, uh, I mean, the defense was no help to him. Um, But I saw the team went six for 11 on third downs. So, I mean, they're over that 50% mark, which is amazing. You always want to be that. Um, But, yeah, the defense just let Josh Allen do whatever he wanted to them. And there was no pass rush, and with no pass rush, you can't guard, you know, digs for – over five seconds. So, uh, Verrett and Sherm were pretty uh, exposed. <laughs> Can we talk about the quarterback play real quick, actually? Because this is something that I've been trying to harp on for weeks, is whenever we talk about how the 49ers should upgrade a quarterback, and, you know, one of the comments was saying that somebody last night watching Josh Allen made them realize how much they want one of those young QBs who's mobile with a big arm. And the mm-hmm. thing that always gets cited is win-loss record, win-loss record. So I think objectively anyone could look at the game and say that Nick Mullins played far worse against the Rams when the 49ers won than he did against the Bills when they ended up losing. And the context is important because if Bourne gets across the goal line when he was short by a couple inches and Ayuk doesn't have that ball tip off his hands and, you know, Wilson ends up, you know, that one pick in the in the end zone doesn't happen if Bourne gets across. So you take that one pick where the ball went off of Ayuk's hands Mullins ends up with 315 and four touchdowns if Bourne gets over the end zone right there. That's a pretty damn good stat line from any quarterback. And that's why, again, stats can be misleading because, you know, you look at that and you assume that if that happened, your team would be in a pretty good position to win. 
it never felt like the 49ers were really in a position to win, in my opinion, even early because of how good the Bills are and how much big, uh, big playability they do have. So I just want to touch on real quick. I don't know. Maybe you guys can share your thoughts. I don't think that win-loss record is exclusively correlated to quarterback play because, like I said, as we just saw, Mullins played awful against the Rams. They squeaked out a win. He played pretty good. He wasn't, you know, great, but he also wasn't terrible. He certainly didn't cost them the game. And they lose a game where they're down by multiple scores for the majority of the second half. So I think that's one thing that people should keep in mind when they're citing win-loss record. There's so much that factors into winning a football game. Quarterback play is important, but there's a lot when I see that win-loss record get cited as to why the 49ers shouldn't, you know, move on and find a new quarterback. There's a big reason why those wins <laughs> happen, and it's not exclusively Jimmy Garoppolo responsible for those games that he is winning ultimately. Um, Nick Mullins actually could have had at least six touchdowns last night, if you really think about it. Because the missed throw to Reed was actually towards to Bourne. Bourne had all the open field, which could have been, you know, a touchdown. It could have been. Yeah, the interception to Wilson, which got picked off, well, yeah, in the end zone. So that could have been five right there. Then you have the like Kendrick Bourne, which could have been four, like you said, Jordan. And, and it eventually let you. Was that that was the one that led you a false start, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. False start. Then you have the interception, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you could honestly you could have six touchdowns last night. You really could, and that tells you how good of a coach Shanahan really is, too. Yeah, yeah. I I think last night uh, Mullins probably had the best game of the season for him. Um, I mean he. He made some smart throws and he got out of the pocket really easily. Um, he felt the pressure come in and he ran out and just made something happen if he could. Um, I mean, there were some iffy throws here and there and some behind throws that were behind players and that sort of thing. But I mean, I think ultimately it was probably one of his best games of, of the season for sure for him. I, at least. I absolutely agree. And do, do you guys think that after watching a quarterback like Josh Allen, you know, who was in full disclosure, you know, I, I'm sure plenty of 49ers fans are aware he wasn't as good as he has been this season. The last couple of years, uh, there was a, definitely a, an improvement from the first year to the second year. He got by using his legs a tremendous amount during his first season. But I think that there's a clear, you know, kind of situation of quarterback envy that I've seen a lot on Twitter in the past 24 hours where people finally saw what having a quarterback of that caliber could really do. And I think that the 49ers are in a position where, you know, the bills had to go out and get a Stefan Diggs to add to this offense and kind of sacrifice some on the defensive end in terms of losing a couple free agents and losing some guys they might've re-signed to get a guy to help the offense. The 49ers really don't need help at the skill positions. They already have Ayuk, they have Debo and they have George Kittle. They have a three headed monster at the, in the receiving core that if you get them the proper quarterback that's going to deliver the ball to them downfield and hit them in stride and just be far more consistent than Mullins or Beathard or Jimmy or any of the quarterbacks on the roster have been, there's no reason to think that this won't be a top five offense for years to come. Uh, and I think that it's something where I, I truly don't know how Kyle Shanahan can continue to watch these teams that he's going up against have mobile quarterbacks that are evading the pass rush, that are evading all these things they've game planned for all week because they have the legs and they have the ability to extend plays, you know, I don't know about you. It was upsetting to watch, but I was I was impressed with the way Josh Allen was extending those plays, continuing to not give up, and just throwing darts like the guy was yeah. firing all over the field. Yeah, we would. I mean, the pass rush would be there. Like he he would get you know pressure up 
in the middle of then uh and i think part of that was because kinlaw i mean i feel like kinlaw i haven't looked at the pff grades and all that sort of thing but i mean feel i feel like kinlaw was almost there on every other snap at least um i saw one of baldy's breakdowns i i know most people know who baldy is um and kinlaw had this insane like shove and then like a spin move past uh two linemen and got like right up into josh allen's face and just couldn't finish off pretty much um but it just seemed like Josh Allen just ran away from the pocket and then just threw a dart like 15 yards downfield. And it was just always a third down sort of deal. Like it just, it just kind of happened every, every, uh, every drive. Hey, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I was on the podcast with Jason, (laughs) speaking of the devil, Jason, um, and Javi from the fourth and gold podcast last night. Uh, we're talking about the game. Um, and just some reactions, a little rants and everything. And we talked about how a lot of people thought that Josh Allen was, you know, going to be a bust because he was not, he had that, he had, he had the arm, he was not, he did not have the accuracy. And that's what really concerned a lot of people, a lot of fans. And the Bills were actually patient with him and look at him now. He's, he's MVP candidate. He really is. Top three. Exactly, and I think that if Kyle actually got a quarterback, if drafted a quarterback, he has to be patient with him. Right. You you can't – I know Kyle wants a QB that fully understands what what he's uh, thinking of and how he sees the field and how he sees plays and everything, but Kyle also has to know that you have to be patient with your players. You have to let them develop and – if you don't, you can't keep dumping off QBs left and right just because they're not getting it in time. Yeah, a big thing uh, last year for Josh Allen was uh, his rushing ability. And, I mean, everyone knows on this on the 49ers defense, there's a huge problem with the mobile quarterbacks. And I feel like that's probably one of the bright, bright spots of the of the defense last year or last uh, last game. Um, I mean, Allen had six rushes for 11 yards and, I mean, no touchdowns, of course. But, yeah, I, I feel like that was a pre- pretty big bright spot uh, from last night from the defensive side at least because um, usually they just run all over us for, I mean, at least 50 to 70-something yards. Um, but, I mean, we kept them to 11 on six attempts. So I'd say that's a big positive. And, you know, one thing that really stands out to me in the, the consensus I see is there's kind of, it's kind of black and white. There's people that want to move on that want a new quarterback. And there's people that think that they should upgrade the O-line. They should upgrade the secondary, all these things, and just run it back. The issue that I have with that is that so many people are going into this, you know, debate or discussion, assuming that the team is going to be playing the way it did in 2019 and more specifically the defense. Nobody knows how Nick Bosa is going to recover from that ACL. Hopefully he ends up being okay. ACL recovery has come a long way in the modern day. So there's a lot more optimism around it, but he also had cartilage damage. It, it wasn't your run of the mill ACL tear. There's definitely a little bit more to it. Uh, the report I saw yesterday is that he is on track for a 2021 return, but it's unrealistic to expect that he's going to be that dominant force right away. And then on top of it, you lose to Forrest Buckner, who's an all pro talent. Who and the, the thing that I think gets overlooked, especially this past year with all the injuries, Buckner never missed games. He was consistently in there. I think he missed one game in his four years as a 49er. And that kind of continuity on top of the talent that the D-line had was what made it such a nightmare for opposing teams. They couldn't throw on the 49ers with any kind of regularity because you had a four-headed monster on passing downs 
that could pressure the quarterback while dropping seven in coverage. And realistically, the 49ers aren't going to get to that level anytime soon. So they're going to need to make up that gap a little bit on the offensive end because that de- as good as the defense has played, and as much as we love Robert Sala and we love the way that these guys are going out there and fighting, it's very clear that they're not going to be that suffocating, you know, elite top three defense that we saw in 2019. Those days are over. Like that window is closed. And I think the sooner people come to grips with that, maybe they'll start warming up more to the idea of having a team that's going to, you know, just basically have to outscore opponents. Like obviously that's cliche. You know, you want to score more points than the other team. That's the most obvious statement ever. But it's the difference between, you know, scoring 24 to win and scoring 34 to win. You know, like if they get a team that can go out there and put up 34 and win a shootout while having the players they still have on defense, their chances of becoming a perennial contender moving forward increase exponentially, in my opinion. I don't see them being able to run out the same team that they've had the past couple of years with all the uh, roster turnover that will ultimately happen this offseason and expect to be that 13 and three competing for a one seed, you know, winning the NFC team that we saw this past season. And I just think that the expectations that that will just happen again, need to be tempered a little bit. I'm, I'm still on that. Um, we should have kept Buckner over Armstead um, train. I know a lot of people aren't, but I'm still on it. I haven't really been a huge Armstead fan since he's been here. I, I really haven't. And he hasn't been that great this year. But you kind of expect him more from him. Like even Buckner himself, he had no, he had zero pass rush in twenty. I think it was twenty eighteen. He had zero pass rush to help him out, and he still had twelve sacks. And Armstead had to have help to get his sacks. So that tells you how great a player Buckner is. And I, I still wish they kept Buckner set. Armstead. I yeah. still think that uh, the, I, I don't think it would have been possible to keep Buckner, honestly, because I don't think Armstead is even getting paid as much as Buckner is this year, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it's kind of spread out for Armstead, but I think Buckner, I mean, he obviously deserves money, but I don't think we could have made it happen this season along with next season with how you know tight with money we are this, this season, especially. Um but I mean, Buckner deserved all that money, and that's why we traded him. It was, from what I understood, it was equal on both ends when the trade happened because his agent and Buckner himself went out and found a team um, that I mean, Buckner was comf- comfortable with going to and was able to get the money that he deserves. Um, and I know there was a quote the other day that uh, Buckner had like no idea of the trade, and I was like, right, what? <laughs> I don't understand where this is coming from, just because you know I. I saw articles, a bunch of them saying uh, that Buckner and his agent went and found a team that suited him and, you know, what his price was. Um, so, so Armstead actually got paid more than Buckner did. This year? Not this season, though. Not this, not this year, but yeah, I'm saying, pretty- like, so the, the, the big difference between the two contracts is Armstead's uh, contract – on a contract is um, front load or back loaded. Far yeah. Factor is front loaded right now. Right. So that's a big difference. Right. Yeah. It just um, wouldn't have been possible, especially with Warner coming up with a contract. And um, Kittle. Kittle, Kittle is contract too. Um, See, so. And the thing that's important to remember too, and I was going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Tommy. The You're thing good. I was going to say is that the 49ers front office felt like they still had a championship team and that they still had, you know, and who knows where they would have been if, you know, 
Bosa doesn't get hurt and Ford actually plays all these games and doesn't get hurt and, you know, Kittle's not hurt. And even Jimmy, if he plays, who knows? Like, going into the year, they thought they had a team. They were, they should have won the Super Bowl last year. I don't think there's any 49ers fan or anybody out there that will tell you otherwise in this fan base. They should have won the Super Bowl, and they thought that they could just run it back, which you can't really fault them for doing. I think that people would have had a much bigger issue with the franchise if they decided to just move on from guys and not kind of give this group another chance. And the cap hit that Armstead took this year is significantly lower, which is what gave them the extra money to sign Kittle. You have Warner obviously coming up, like Tommy said. So it's not just a Buckner or Armstead thing. And I think that the versatility of Armstead also played a big role in it. Buckner, I'm sure if you asked him to, he could have played some DN, but he's not that guy that you can throw out there on base downs. Like Armstead is a really good run defender. And what they saw last year was they saw his ability to play outside with Bosa on early downs and then the ability to come inside. And if I'm not mistaken, Armstead led the team in uh, sacks last year, you know, which I know is a product of having those guys on the outside, but they went into this planning to have two elite edge rushers on the outside of him. And the counter argument to that is, you know, maybe you shouldn't pay a guy that much if he's that dependent on having outside product, you know, having production on either side of him, which is a totally fair take. But I think that the front office gets dragged a little bit for that. And the logic behind it actually, in my opinion, makes a lot of sense because we're seeing flashes of how good Kinlaw can be. He's obviously nowhere near as good as Buckner is now. And that's no insult to Kinlaw. It's how good Buckner, Buckner is probably the best interior defensive lineman, not named Aaron Donald. Top three. Yeah, easily. And what you're seeing is the 49ers have a guy, rookie contracts are so valuable because you're able to control these guys at a, you know, team friendly rate for five, especially first round picks because you get the fifth year option. So you're getting five potential years of a guy that's very cheap while you're extending a Fred Warner, while you're extending a George Kittle, while you're ultimately probably going to extend a Debo Samuel, like those guys, it helps tremendously. So I could see where the logic was in doing it. I think ultimately the way that they went about it maybe not wasn't the best way. The reports I saw was that Buckner was kind of blindsided by it. But ultimately, too, you know, it's a two-way street. The guy wanted money. The 49ers ultimately didn't have the money to keep the entire band together. And right. I think that, you know, they did him a good they did him a good they didn't send him to Jacksonville or the Jets or a team that's terrible. They sent him to the Colts and they got something back in return where the plan could, you know, we all wanted a receiver early. I remember for months before, you know, we I thought we were gonna get CD Lamb. I was all on board yep, with earlier. I think the plan for the 49ers all along when they the second they got that 13th pick, they zeroed in on Javon Kinlaw and they were like, This is our guy. And Ultimately, it's going to take a couple of years to fairly grade that trade because we haven't seen how good Kinlaw can be yet. But one thing that really does stand out is you cannot teach size. Ultimately, he's getting better with his pass rushing moves. I saw a little, that Baldy breakdown that Tommy was talking about where he spun off of two offensive linemen to get pressure on Josh Allen. And he's getting better with his technique, but you can't teach somebody to be 6'5", 330 pounds. <laughs> like you can teach a guy to work with his hands, work with his feet a little bit. You can't teach sheer size. So I think that they ultimately, depending on how he progresses in the next year or two, that actually could end up being a trade that the 49ers look back on and feel very good about. The only thing I will say that you can't replace is just how good of a person Buckner is. And Buckner was, you know, he was there through the ups and downs. He was there for the two and 14. He was there through the, you know, sitting there as not just kind of the laughing stock of the league and then getting so close to winning the Super Bowl. So I, I, my heart kind of hurts for the guy knowing he gave his all to the organization, but it's just a perfect example of, you know, the NFL being a business ultimately. Um, but I just, I just don't think that it was an Armstead or Buckner type thing. There's so much that factors into it. All right. It was just the right business move to make. I, I remember draft day when Buckner got before, when 
Bochner got drafted, and I knew I had a feeling that they're going to draft an interior defensive lineman. I was like, please no. <laughs> I, I, I'm just tired of drafting interior defensive linemen over and over again. And because I, I, I really want a receiver like you, Jordan. I wanted CD Lamb. I wanted those top receivers because you had Judy, you had Ruggs was in the conversation as well. And I didn't see much about Ayuk. I really didn't. Then I was just about to turn the TV off. Then I saw that they traded up. I was like, that's kind of weird. And they got a receiver. I was like, all right, somebody. <laughs> At least they got somebody. And I, was, you know, I got to watching the tape about him and everything. And I was like, yeah, this is definitely a Kyle Shanahan pick. It's, this is the guy he wants. And I saw a lot of Odell Beckham in him. I mean, that's a high you know, ceiling for that. But I saw a lot of Odell, OBJ in him. Just from his uh, route running and his ability to catch the ball. He's got a nice wingspan too. His his wingspan is much larger than he his height would indicate. And you know I'm you know I know you guys are out in the Midwest, so you probably get a lot of Big Twelve games. I'm out west. I watch a lot of Pac-12 ball. So he was somebody that I thought I thought he would ultimately go to Green Bay. To be honest, with the pick that they ended up taking Gordon Love with, uh, but I was I was pretty ecstatic when they did end up taking him because. I thought he was definitely a top five receiver in the class. I thought there was the three. I personally really wanted Henry Ruggs, but uh, you know, ultimately you really, you need a quarterback that can get the ball down the field consistently as we're seeing, you know, he's having a decent season in Oakland. I think he got redeemed with that, you know, big touchdown against the jets to win the game. And you really, you really need a quarterback to maximize that kind of, you know, talent. And I really wanted CD lamb, but ultimately Ayuk does so many things that you can tell Kyle kind of likes and one thing that really stands out to me is that he, he kind of he has that dog in him where like you can see when the ball doesn't get to him cleanly and when he's you know running routes and getting overthrown and this and that. I, I'm not a big fan of people you know pouting on the field, but I think he's his he's reasonable with his body language where he kind of has that alpha mentality where he's really going to compliment a player like Debo Samuel. So I think ultimately they ended up coming out great in the draft in the first round. They got the D lineman and they got the receiver that we were all pining for that kind of number one. It's on the team now to get those receivers a quarterback that can get them the damn ball consistently and not have these guys throwing their hands up in the air and, you know, jumping up and down and getting, you know, worked up about it. Because it's it's clear that there's the talent is there. I, I truly think that the position that's holding this team back still is the quarterback. And that's not any singular player. It's all three that are taking up the quarterback room right now. I don't think any of the three are good enough. All right. So yeah. with that being said, is uh, Ayuk our one wide receiver one or uh, for the future? I think so. Easily. Finally, <laughs> I think so. It, it's time. Right. You yeah. think so? Okay. So the question is: Is Ayuk or Debo or receiver one? Can you have that one too? Ayuk easily for me. I I had this kind of. I think theory. I, I think Debo's receiver one. Then Ayuk complements him on the other end. Receiver two. I had this theory kind of going into the season with uh, us picking Ayuk like right after, and I feel like it's kind of better off if we don't really have a wide receiver one it's just kind of like a 1a 1b sort of situation um just because i mean we saw tradavius white just single-handedly take out debo for the entire first half of the bills game and i mean i was going off like what do you end with like with 95 yards or something like that <laughs> and then with the deep ball too i mean the dude is insane and then they flip-flopped and then Debo, you know, started going off in like the, what, the fourth quarter. So um, like all of his receiving yards came in the fourth, I believe. Um, 
so yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of better off that we don't really have like a wide receiver one. We just kind of have like a 1A, 1B with uh, Ayuk and Debo. And then we have, you know, Kittle as well at uh, some points. But um, but yeah, we're definitely hitting on uh, receivers again. <laughs> and it's... Uh, it- it's just suppress. It's just suppressing uh, that they're using. They're being used as gadget players right now, though, because they're being well, limited. Because they're being limited um, because of limited QB play. It doesn't, feel, it doesn't feel great, baby, does it? It's just. It's just horrible to see. Like, we're. I'm not going to say we're wasting their talents, but we're. We need to see how how big their potential is in the vertical game. We've seen Ayuk and Debo both in the vertical game several times before in the past, but that's and they've been they did great, but we very rarely get to see that though. I like you, get, you know, I have the Lions, you have Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay always going down vertical, and they're always getting their passes, they always give us chances. And the QB and the QBs the Myers have are not, they don't have arm talent for it. Honestly, I've seen it, you have seen it better, it has, has the best. Deep arm throat, deep arm in the in the the roster. Again, yeah. but he's not great at anything else, really. I don't. I mean, because we've seen going back to like the gadget players uh, sort of idea. Um, I I think Debo has. I mean, of course, he's excelled as uh, like a wide receiver, like with the concentration where the ball is, the awareness, and all that sort of thing. Because we saw in the Cardinals last uh, last year um, with that insane catch that he had on the sideline. But there's like two defenders, and he like literally like caught the ball around a defender. I mean, so like the the yeah. skill is there, but it's just I mean, it's just part of Kyle's offense where you know we have drag routes, we have the jet sweeps. I mean, uh, they yeah, end, I mean, arounds. But, yeah, end arounds, yeah, end arounds. Um, but I mean, we've seen Debo excel and and that sort of uh, play call as well. So I mean, it kind of goes both ways, I guess, because I mean they're just good at or at least Debo is because we, we haven't really seen we've seen Ayuk do it twice with uh, the end of rounds and jet sweeps and all that sort of thing and he scored both times I believe uh, uh, Giants and Eagles yeah so I mean the the skill is there for both of them but I mean it's just part of Kyle's scheme I believe just because you know the quarterbacks don't have the arm to launch it downfield to Ayuk with you know the wingspan of a freaking giant and I mean Debo you know, it was just the underneath guy. I think that's just kind of like what our offense is going to be whenever we have a quarterback with the arm talent and the accuracy and, you know, the strength and all that sort of thing. Um, but it's just – I think it's just going to have to take time just to um, find a QB that, that has that sort of uh, physical, physical talent. So going, going to QBs, who well, we think we're getting – about the 1A and 1B, because if you saw last night, the Bills have one of the best cornerbacks in football in Tredavious White, and he was kind of floating all around because you don't really have like that singular superstar receiver that's going to command the attention of an opposing team's best DB. We saw the same thing against the Rams with Jalen Ramsey, and the 49ers' ability to kind of move them around the field is a major you know advantage for Kyle when he's calling these plays. And I think the ability to motion both of those guys, we've seen a lot this year, where they're having that motion where even if they're not running the sweeps or end rounds or any of that, they're motioning behind the quarterback. And what that's doing ultimately is moving the eyes of the defenders in the middle of the field. And it makes it like so much of the Shanahan offense that we've seen is predicated on kind of sleight of hand, if, if you will, like 
it's getting the defense to look one way when really going the other and just kind of keeping guys on their toes. Like the touchdown to use check, so much of it was the defender out in the flat that was responsible for him was paying attention to the run and watching that it caused him to literally step forward and kind of be out of place for his assignment. And when you have two receivers that can kind of interchange that are interchangeable, that can both do that, it creates a lot of havoc for the defense. And I think ultimately, you know, the offense is, is a horizontal offense. They're trying to go side to side. But when you get a quarterback that can push the ball vertically, it adds a new wrinkle to it. And you'll right. see that there's much more to this Shanahan offense than what we've been able to watch. You know, if people have access to game pass for all 22, if you go watch the games that he uh, was coordinating when he was in Atlanta, 2016, it, the offense looks tremendously different than what we've seen the past couple of years. So I, I'm with Tommy when they get a new, you know, we can segue into the quarterback thing, but I think that, the ability to have a 1A and a 1B rather than just, you know, a singular superstar receiver ends up giving them a tremendous advantage in the long run. Right. So talking about QBs now. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to stick to the Rams Rams game, so we're not going off on the Zach Rams. Wilson train again. <laughs> you want to Rams again or Bills? Bill or Bills. Bills. God, what am I doing? <laughs> on, Tommy. It's, it's been so weird. You really love the Rams game. Sorry, don't you? Know, just still riding a highway. It's in the past. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I came up with a scenario that before the game happened that in order for the Niners to win the NFC West, they would have to win that game. They would also have to hope the Rams and Seattle lose two games and Cardinals lose one. Well, since they lost last night, um, they have to hope for Rams and Seattle to lose three games and Cardinals to lose two, which is not going to happen. Right. So, as of right now, um, if the Niners... So, going to the Washington game next week, if the Niners do somehow... If the Niners do lose next week, they would get... Um, they would have the eighth pick overall. If, But they would have to have Chicago, Detroit, Atlanta, and Carolina to win. Well, but, Carolina's getting McCaffrey back, so who knows where but, they're going to be going. <laughs> <laughs> but here's a, here's a weird thing, though. If the Niners want to go to the playoffs, they still have to hope for Chicago and Lions to win. So, I mean, it's kind of a win-win situation for them. It, it depends on it depends on what happens to them next week if they win or lose, but they also have to hope for Vikings and Cardinals to lose as well if they won't go to the playoffs to get that to get that seventh seed. But I just don't see them if they do make the playoffs. I just don't see them going anywhere. I, I really don't. Even even if they do get Jimmy and Kittle back, I just don't see them going anywhere. I'll, I'll save you save you the time. They're not making the playoffs, and I know people. Don't like I know, but I'm just I've been I'm, saying it for weeks. It's it's just the reality. If once you get comfortable with that idea, you'll enjoy the games a lot more because you're not going to be sitting there getting upset, you know, throwing your remote at the TV, getting all upset when a bunch of you know when you have your backup quarterback not out playing a guy who's an MVP candidate. You know, it's going to make it's going to make absorbing some of these losses a little bit easier, and you know. That front seven that we you know we I don't know if you guys want to talk a little bit about the game coming up this week. That front seven that the Washington football team has is very reminiscent it's very of the solid. front seven the Niners had last year. And you know, I thought Mullins actually did pretty good. He made he had a couple plays where he stepped up under pressure, he evaded some rushes and he made some throws under duress. But it's not something I would consistently bank on him doing. 
And it, again, it's another area where having a mobile quarterback doesn't always guarantee that you're going to be able to evade a pass rush like that, but it gives you a hell of a lot better chance than just banking on your O-line, stopping a unit that, that that's that deep and that talented. So I predicted uh, like three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I was like, you know what? Something just, it feels like Alex Smith is going to get his revenge. He's going to get his kind of, you know, I don't think he has any ill will towards the 49ers, but I wouldn't blame him at all if he was a little ticked off at how things kind of ended and how he got shipped off. So I would, I would not be surprised in the slightest if Washington ultimately ends up winning this game. But I also, on the flip side, know we were talking in pre-show about how much Kyle Shanahan seems to have disdain for that franchise and how I would not be surprised in the slightest if it was one of those games where he just was on his, you know, on his Shanna genius. That's what I call him when he's calling those plays. If he's on his Shanna genius and he's just, you know, calling plays that we haven't seen all year that the other team didn't prepare for. So it's kind of tough, but it's it's ultimately at the point for me uh, where I don't feel confident that they're going into any of the remaining four games and they're going to win. Maybe Dallas. Dallas is the only one that I would probably feel a little bit closer to confident than not. But I could see them honestly losing all four. And it's unfortunate to say I hope they win all four. Even if they don't make the playoffs, I hope they go out fighting and they end up winning games. It's the point of watching you know, the team and being the fan of the team. But I just don't see it like it's the reality has to set in at a certain point. And I just they're not a playoff team. And I think that it's becoming very evident. Yeah, Sorry, I uh, one one game I do hope that they win, obviously, uh, is the Seattle game. I mean, we're going to I mean, of course, I want this, them to beat the Seattle. But I mean, we've lost them once this season and it would be just really nice to see them go 500 against them. Uh and I think we're we'll probably be getting you know Jimmy G back and Kittle and all that sort of thing. And going back with Kittle, I mean I I know that we talked earlier Jordan um, Jordan about Kittle and uh, if it would be the better situation to just hold him out for the rest of the season, or if we should um, uh, go ahead and play him just you know as the injury gets better and that sort of thing. And I mean if since the playoffs are kind of just gone now um i don't i don't know if playing him would probably be the smartest decision just to you know get that surgery done on his labrum and just kind of get that recovery process going just for the next year um just so he could be that much better because uh, i mean he played all through last year and i mean it i, I can't really say you know if it affected him or not um just because i'm not you know his doctor or whatever but uh <laughs> it, it would it would be kind of nice just to you know you know, take a seat. We'll stash you for next year. Do your thing. We'll get you healthy, ready to go, so you can have a big year next year, sort of deal. Yeah, I I agree. I I don't think you should play Kittle. I think also I don't think you should put Jimmy back out there either. I, th- I think I, Jimmy. I, go ahead. If they feel if they if Jimmy feels like he shouldn't be here anymore himself. And it would, it would be smart of him to not play this the rest of the season for, you know, to have a better chance of, you know, going somewhere else and not get re-injured as well. Are you talking about um, Jimmy or Kittle? Jimmy. Jimmy. Oh, okay. um, and I think I think it would be the best position for him to, I think for the Niners as well, to just simply just don't play him. I, I think that... Um, not playing him actually has the best chance of having a fresh start with someone else. And yeah. I think I think they both know it too. Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think playing Jimmy, I mean, it could be, you know, a flip of a coin sort of deal. I mean, it could raise his draft or uh, his trade stock, but I mean, it can also destroy it at the same time, Especially. you know, if he doesn't have a good game or that sort of thing. Um, Cause I mean, the tape is, you know, all out there about Jimmy. Uh, everyone knows what he's about and that sort of deal just from last year. Um, but I, I think playing Jimmy might be just the smartest idea just to not have Mullins out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'd probably play Jimmy and just keep Kittle on the sidelines and just have a, that surgery done just so he's fully healthy for once <laughs> for next <laughs> season. So I've been super outspoken that I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo should be quarterback in the 49ers beyond the season. I, I just, I think he's limited. I think he's just, you know, he is what he is at this point but I still respect him enough as a human being to, you know, offer him the decency that he deserves, that he shouldn't be put out there if he's not 100% good to go, especially right. like, like emphasis on if the 49ers are planning on looking at other options and moving on because they owe him the decency to at least give him an opportunity to get right. So if he is going in for workouts or going in for another team, that's taking a look at him, he's going to be completely healthy. And then ultimately that team will, you know, probably have, there's a light, light, lar- a lot larger chance of them getting something in return for him if they were to trade him rather than just cut him. Right. I also just, I, I think that it's not very proactive. Obviously, yes, he's better than Nick Mullins. Like that, I have no issue talking about. I think that they both do different things well. I think Mullins processes the field a little bit better, but I also think that his arm limits him far more than Jimmy's probably does. But I truly don't see a scenario where in the past few games, the only one maybe is the New Orleans game, but even then, since he's been out when he left the third quarter in Seattle, <laughs> there's not a game that the outcome changes with Jimmy playing quarterback, in my opinion. And I, I say that objectively. I know a lot of people think I'm biased because I don't think – but, like, there's nothing that you can point to that says this guy ultimately would be the difference, in my opinion. And it's been very clear this year that he may not be at 100%, but even if he was at 100%, there's nothing confidently, in my opinion, that you can point to that says if this guy was a, if this guy was in under center, we would still be in the playoff hunt. And that seems to be the narrative that I'm seeing. And, you know, so I, I'm kind of torn between, you know, I like I don't want him to go out there if he's hurt, but if he is healthy, I, I hope he's out there for Arizona and I hope he's out there for Seattle, 100% healthy, no excuses. And ultimately, I hope he proves me wrong. He ends up playing really well. The 49ers find a way to sneak in the playoffs. But I also would love for him to go out there because my feeling is is that he will go out there. He will look just like he did against Seattle the first time. When yeah, he may have had a lingering problem with the ankle, but he wasn't listed on the practice reports. He wasn't listed on any kind of injury designation, and he looked awful against historically one of the worst passing defenses of all time. And Mullins came in, whether it's garbage time or not, whatever people want to call it. Mullins came in and was able to move the ball against them. Jimmy was not, and I think that it's at the point now where Kyle knows what he has with him. And he doesn't need to he doesn't need to evaluate him any further. He kind of made that clear uh, a couple weeks ago. I think it was the first press conference he had after he got hurt. That there's no need to throw him out there just to get some kind of evaluation. And I, I think realistically, the the highest value that he carries on the team is that guys seem to feed off of him. I think the locker room definitely supports him, and they they kind of rally around him. But I have to wonder too how much you know you've seen it more with the receivers this year where they're getting kind of fed up when they're running great routes and they're beating DBs and they're they're doing what they're supposed to do and the quarterback's not hitting them. It's a little bit more understandable with Nick Mullins being an undrafted backup, but Mullins isn't exempt from this criticism either. He's, he needs to be better as well. But when you're getting paid the money that Jimmy's being paid, there's a lot of expectations, and I just don't see a way that he's met that criteria, to be honest. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, this season has been such a crazy year because I mean, I don't, I don't think we've seen a healthy Jimmy ever since like what was it like week three or four. Um. So and I mean, obviously the ankle plays an effect just because I mean, uh, just like you know, twi- just whatever. I mean, the ankle is a big you know part of being a quarterback and that sort of thing. Um. But I think since we we should have a healthy Jimmy at that uh, Arizona and Seattle point, um. I, if I mean, if he could play, you know, an amazing game, and I mean, I, th- I think if he does, it would be a good um, reason to keep him around for the next season and just kind of have him as like a bridge QB, like how uh, the Dolphins did with uh, Tua and that sort of deal, um, and just kind of keep their rookie behind Jimmy for half the season or whatever. We'll just see what he can do from there. Um but I mean, like like I said before, it's it's like a total coin flip because we just he could have a great game, he could have an amazing game, and we can keep him for another year, or he can just be, you know, how he has been and just not what he used to be. Okay, so I got a question for you guys. So CJ Beathard is a free agent. Nick Mullins is a restricted free agent, and Jimmy is has a really good chance of leaving San Francisco. Do you keep Nick Mullins again next season? Yeah, I would. He's a he's a great backup. I would, but I would honestly look at other. It, it all depends what they do. If they don't get a, if they get a veteran quarterback that that comes in right away, that's going to be the clear cut day one starter at one hundred percent. Yes, keep Mullins. I think he's a good backup. He's familiar in the system, and I think that that as much as he may frustrate him at times, I think Kyle really does like him, and I think that the players ultimately, you know, there's a connection there. I wouldn't keep him if they draft a guy. If they draft a guy, I would definitely opt for that bridge QB, but I would go for a bridge quarterback that's a little bit cheaper than what Jimmy is. I wouldn't keep Jimmy at 25 or 26 million, whatever his cap is. 27. Yeah, 27. I would not keep him just to be a guy that's you're ultimately going to replace midseason the way that the Dolphins did with Tua. I would honestly, you know, people probably wouldn't like it, but the names that I would I would circle around, I, I, would, I think Marcus Mariota is one to look at. I think Mariota is, would be very cheap. He's not going to wow you. He's not going to win games on his own. He's not going to put the team on his back. But he's slightly mobile. He can run a West Coast offense. He can hit. He can. He can make almost any throw that Jimmy can. I don't think there's a throw that Jimmy makes that he doesn't. And he would be a quarter of the price probably. And then the other one that people really don't want to, you know, even entertain is when Trubisky inevitably gets cut from the Bears. Kyle really liked Trubisky. Kyle in the draft that had Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson coming out flew out to watch one quarterback in person, and it was not either of those two. It was Mitch Trubisky, and I think that I could see a scenario where if he comes on at a very cheap deal, and that's the key part of this, it has to be a very, very, very team-friendly deal, I could definitely see a situation where Kyle maybe thinks if he gets his hands on him, he could kind of, you know, give him that resurgence. Uh, You know, I saw a little bit ago, Grant Cohn tweeted about how he could be Ryan Tannehill, how Tannehill changed his career going from Miami to Tennessee. I think Tannehill is a better quarterback than Trubisky has displayed at the NFL level. And it was apparent when he was still in Miami, but I think that that comparison is very good in terms of what the ceiling could be. If you get a quarterback like that. And again, it doesn't have to be the long-term answer, but it's an athletic quarterback. Who's a veteran who you could get for pennies on the dollar while their stock is this low. I just couldn't see a scenario where you keep Garoppolo at his cap hit. And in all fairness to Jimmy too, I don't think that Jimmy should have to come back to a team that doesn't believe in him as a long-term answer either. I think he deserves a fresh start somewhere else too on the flip side. Yeah. If they, I don't see them restructuring any contracts anytime soon. Um, 
But I mean, if they do end up restructuring Jimmy's just to kind of be like a kind of like on a prove it sort of deal at that point, um, it would be interesting just to see them draft a rookie QB after the restructure. And, um, you know, I mean, you'll just have two decently good quarterbacks at that point, I guess, and then a rookie, I guess, at that point, you, too. You don't want to restructure his contract because that screws both Jimmy and the Niners over. Because if they restructure his contract, that means all his uh, money is guaranteed right there and then, and they can't cut him for that, you know, that cap hit and everything. So Niners are pretty much screwing themselves if they, if they restructure Jimmy. And I'm pretty sure Jimmy wow. does not want that either. So, yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's not, that's not a good idea. <laughs> and, and the key thing to remember with restructure is that restructure generally means that you're just moving money around and you're what the uh, Jimmy has two years left on this deal. So if they restructured his deal, ultimately it would just push money that he would inevitably be guaranteed to the back end of a second year. And if he's a bridge guy, there's no reason to push that around. So I'm not right. speaking to what you guys just said. I'm talking about what I've seen on Twitter. People just keep saying, Oh, just restructure, just restructure. like that word restructure. Isn't some Mac magical fix all <laughs> that's going to just, you know, make hey, make everything money. Worse. it would put them in a far worse position. Now they have the flexibility to get out from under his deal, restructuring literally takes that ability away and then backloads a deal for a guy that you wouldn't play. Like if you, the whole point of restructuring would be that you just want him to bridge the gap between a rookie coming in and being ready to start. And if they wanted to keep him at a pay cut, they ultimately would have to cut him, absorb the $2.8 million dead cap hit, if even if they re-sign him. So you'd be cutting him, asking him to take less money than he was scheduled to make while still counting dead money against the cap to have a guy in your roster to only start for a few weeks. So ultimately, the decision needs to be, is he going to be the guy going forward? And if he's not, he shouldn't be on the roster next year. I, I, I don't like that. I, I've seen that floated around a lot, that he should just be this, like, you know, mentor and be the guy next year while they draft a rookie and groom behind him. That does not work for either side. And I think that the NFL has shown a tremendous growth in rookie quarterbacks. I think that if you put Joe Burrow or you put Justin Herbert, and again, you could miss on some quarterbacks, but if you put those kind of guys, a Kyler Murray, Somebody like that that comes in day one around a strong with a strong team around them, they can easily pilot that team to the playoffs. They may not win the Super Bowl the first year, but the thing that I think realistically we need to look at as fans is do you want to try and run it back with a team that's not going to be as good as it has been in, in the past couple of years that's going to be depleted due to roster turnover? Or do you want to have a brighter future for the next 10 years because the team got aggressive and went out and got a guy who could be that guy to lead them for the foreseeable future. And they could swing and miss. They could go out and get a guy who looks great on tape, has all these measurables and ends up not being very good. But I think ultimately they're just repeating like that cliche saying, like the definition of insanity is uh, doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. We know what the offense looks like under Jimmy. It's not good enough. In my opinion, if they want to make a change, now's the best chance they're going to have to do it. I don't see them having a chance to trade up in the draft this easily you know the Chiefs traded up 17 spots I believe the Texans traded up like 13 spots when they got Mahomes and Watson respectively mm -hmm. but the 49ers are in a position where they would only have to trade up a few few spots and as a result I think that the ransom the team getting in return would be substantially less so it's it, it's kind of the time where they have to do some soul searching in the next couple months and really evaluate not just next year's future but the next five to ten years of the franchise as a whole and it's actually they honestly could end up with a top five pick too. And that's a very possible scenario if they keep losing. That's how close this that's how close this race is. Like they're they're in no man's land. They either go to the playoffs 
or get a top five pick. Yeah, which that's is the worst spot to ever be in. <laughs> it, it is, but you just if, if they lose the next four games, they're definitely in a top five. Well, they also they also have hope the other bad teams will keep on winning, and they've been winning lately, and that's the surprising thing. The Giants won the. Okay, well, I can't chart. I can't count the Chargers because Chargers aren't going to go anywhere. Um, Cincinnati aren't going anywhere. Dallas, they could win maybe another game or so. Philadelphia could win another game or so. Carolina, Atlanta, they definitely could win some games. Washington definitely could. Detroit, Chicago, they those those teams actually could win some games in the next four weeks, and I. It's it's a forty nine ers de- uh, control their own destiny. We we all know this. They they can win out. They can try sneaking the playoffs. But what's the whole point of going to the playoffs if you're just going to get knocked out immediately? Well, that's, you don't want to tank though. That's the thing that I want to throw. There. You don't want to tank like, either. Like, you want to no. make the playoffs. And like, yeah, in hindsight, like I had this discussion with uh, Nick Newman of all forty nine ers. I love Nick stuff. I love going back and forth with them and talking. And he made a great point. He said, you know, the goal should always be to make the playoffs. I'm 100% in agreement with him. When you're a fan of the team, you always want to make the playoffs. You want to win every game in a given week. You never want to watch a team just to watch them lose, unless maybe you're the Jets and you're just waiting for Trevor Lawrence. But I think I mean, that, that there's a tangible value to have, like, once once you get past that season that just happened and, you know, you're in February, early March, there's a tangible value to having a better draft pick that's greater than, you know, we made the playoffs. We got bounced in the first round. We made the playoffs. Like that higher draft pick ultimately has a tangible value because you have the chance, like, you know, draft pick, the draft is such a crap shoot. You're not guaranteed a better pick just because you have a higher pick, but your odds of getting the guy you want and having kind of, you know, your choice of the litter there of the guys at the top, like that's, what's going to give you a, a sense of flexibility that I think holds higher value. If you're looking in hindsight, but there's no way you can look at it now and be like, you know, I, I don't want the team to make the playoffs because they're just going to lose in the first. Like, you know, you want them to win. That's ultimately the goal. You want them to win out. You want them to win every week. But it's just there's a fairness between understanding that you what you may want isn't exactly what's going to happen. And I think that the team has demonstrated week in and week out that it's just not their year. Like this is not like the playoffs. I would love for it to happen. I, I gave up on the playoffs a month ago because it's just evident that it's a it's a mountain that's just too high to climb and i commend them for fighting you know i did a show with a a couple guys who are bills fans one of them has a podcast and he said as much as i may have you know expected the 49ers to you know put up you know a little bit more of a you know fight he said that he respected that they never gave up like as much as that game felt in hand as a bills fan he was like damn these guys don't go away and i think that there's tremendous value in building a culture where you aren't just throwing in the towel and you aren't just giving up. Like the whole talk with the Jets and Raiders was that the Jets, you know, called a zero blitz at the end of the game to give a free win away so they can get a better draft pick next year. You know, like I don't think that you could ever watch a 49ers game under the current regime and think that they just gave a game away for no reason, you know? Right. And I think that that holds tremendous value and it definitely creates a culture that players, you know, you get a guy like a Jordan Reed who can kind of go to any contender they like having the resume they have. And he chooses to take less money to come to a 49ers organization where they kind of value that sense of pride, I guess you could say. So like, I'm with you, Zach. I definitely, I don't want to ramble. I get what you're saying about, you know, 
you don't want to just watch them go to the playoffs to lose. But it would be pretty, it would be a hell of a story if the team this year, given everything that happened, if they somehow squeaked into the playoffs, I'd be ecstatic. I just don't think it's going to happen, and I don't think there's anything wrong with acknowledging the reality of that. Yeah. No, Sorry, Tommy. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, like, uh, I, I don't want them to lose. I really don't. I just don't see them winning. Yeah, no, that's that, 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 that's that's the thing because I, I I don't I don't like watching the Niners lose. I really don't. But you have to be more realistic as a fan. You have to be, you know, realistic about their odds and how they would uh, handle in the playoffs. And you see from last night, they they did not fare well against a, a lot better team. And that's what the playoffs are, you know, better teams fighting against each other for the championship. And I just don't think that they can do it. I I just don't I just don't. I just don't want to see them get all hoped up just to see them lose in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. Kind of going back to what you said, Jordan. Um, it, it's really nice seeing just uh, like the push for like a playoff sort of run. Even granted everything that's happened. Um, Cause I mean, we saw the trade for Deion Jordan. I mean, we gave it like what a six, I think it was for next year. Um, that was Willis. But, yeah, Willis. I think they gave up a six. Yeah, Willis. Next year, yeah. I don't, did, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's he's somebody to watch just real quick. He's somebody to watch for. I think that he kind of fills that Kerry Hyder role that happened this past year, where oh, they get a guy right. that has a high ceiling, but for a cheaper price. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, Jordan Willis. Um, but but yeah, we we saw the trade for Jordan Willis. We saw, I mean, all the signings with uh, Ziggy Ansah, and I mean, of course, now he's injured. But then, um, just I mean, all the signings that's been happening. It's just kind of you know, it's nice to see just all the the push. Um, just for the playoff run, but I mean, ultimately it is just kind of falling apart before everyone's eyes. If they do make the playoffs, I mean, everything that they've overcome with the fires, COVID, um, and all that sort of thing, just because of everything they've gone through. Uh, so it would be a hell of a story. It honestly yeah. it wouldn't, wouldn't feel as good as last Even year because if- last year, you know, it was this close to a Super Bowl, but. <laughs> Yeah, even if we make the ball, I'm I'm totally happy with that just because of everything that the team has gone through. So, for sure. And it just it feels good to watch them not give up. Like it felt good. like that the drive that really stood out to me. They ultimately didn't get points from was that drive when they uh, answered right after a Bills touchdown and the Bills went up 17, I believe, at the time. And the 49ers marched down the field, and it was when Bourne came up just a little bit short, and then ultimately uh, Mullins ended up throwing the interception. But they went down the field like fast. Like there was no sense of just kind of pack it up. It's garbage time. It's over. Like I tweeted right. out, I was like, you know, nothing's better than Mullins, you know, racking up stats in garbage <laughs> time. But he was he, you, like to them, I don't think it felt like garbage time. Like they were continuing to show a fight and show a grit that they weren't giving up, you know. And it's it's nice to have that because ideally you'd like to think every single team isn't going to give up till the clock hits zero. But that's just unrealistic. That's just not how it goes for a lot of you know, fan, fan bases, franchises, whatever. Right. So I think that there is some value in knowing that that locker room really does believe in themselves. And as much turnover as we will see this offseason with the roster, there's still a good core chunk of players that will carry that, you know, spirit into next season. And I think that it said it speaks volumes that they never did really throw in the towel. Right. Yeah. I mean, we were running hurry up with like 50 seconds left and down two scores. So, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there's something there. <laughs> So I thought it was hilarious watching uh, Debo 
just totally gassed on on the last drive. Like he was just like hands on his knees, just like, guys, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I have him on my my fantasy team, so I was just like, oh, thank God, Shanahan's keeping him in there. Just I don't care if you're gassed, just catch the ball in front of it. I, I don't even care. <laughs> so I'm yeah. sure he cares. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was fun to watch till the end. Uh, I will say that, even though the defense didn't really hold out all that much. Um, but yeah, I feel like we haven't really talked about the Bills game like at all. <laughs> I mean, what, what really, what really is there to talk about? We touched yeah, on really. I mean, they just got beat by a better team, and I, that's again, I'm not trying to you know be rude, but people that went into that game, I, I saw all week on Twitter, people were thumping their chests about how the Niners were going to come in and beat this team. And I don't think people understand the concept of lines moving, like. The majority, of, like I think, seventy-three percent of bets were on the Bills. There was just big money that came in on the 49ers. and people saw the line move, and they all of a sudden just assumed that because the Niners were favored by a point in a lot of books, that it meant that the Niners were going to win this game. Like that's not how that has nothing to do with, with, with the product on the field. Yeah, and I got a lot of you know I got a lot of crap from people last week when I said you know I got people were calling me negative and saying I didn't want the team to win because I said that I wasn't very impressed with them beating a Rams team that they've now won four in a row against and that there's a clear familiarity with. And lo and behold, they go up against a team that's a quality opponent that they're not familiar with, that Shanahan doesn't, you know, kind of have ownage over. And it felt like they got steamrolled. Like, when I was doing a show with Jason after the game, Jason said it felt like it was 50-7 to for most of the game, and I'm completely with him. Like, that game, the second that the Bills went on that 17-0 run in the second quarter, it felt like it was over. I watched every single snap. I still love the team. That's, you know, I'm going to ride with the 49ers no matter what. But I wouldn't go into the, like, I beg people, anybody out here listening to this, stop going into these games and getting your hopes up and then letting yourself down. Like, just hope, like, expect the worst, but hope for the best, you know? Like, that's the best advice I could give because it's only going to get worse from here, especially with teams like Seattle and Arizona pushing and playing hard for playoff positioning when the 49ers will ultimately be out of it. All right. It is what it is. Well, I, I was going to talk about um, that. Uh, I think his name is, is it Corey Davis? The last touchdown that the Bills got Gabriel on Davis. Uh, Gabriel Davis. Yeah. Corey Davis um, with Tennessee. Right. I know. I, I just didn't know. It was cool. It's all good. But I saw a lot of people ripping Sherman uh, for it being his fault. And um, I, I watched a lot of breakdowns today and a lot of, like explanations that what could have happened because of course no one really knows the actual play call of what happened. Um, but it looked like it was Dante Johnson's fault. I don't like saying his name, but I usually call him just number 27 just because <laughs> it's just how he plays. <laughs> but I think ultimately Dante Johnson didn't have a bad game for Dante Johnson. I, I didn't think I so mean, either. I mean, he was targeted, I think like over like 15 times throughout the entire game. But it wasn't like a Dante Johnson sort of a game. It was it was just a bad nickel corner sort of game for Dante Johnson. I, it wasn't it wasn't heavy penalizing against him like it usually has been. Um, it was just bad technique and just bad awareness, I guess you could say. Um, because I, th- I I saw at the end of the uh, play um, during the game that I mean you just saw a player just sprinting just out of nowhere out of like the corner of the TV, and it was him just leaving. Davis is wide open for the touchdown. And I mean, I think it was more that was around him who was the safety over there. And I mean, he could have made the play. Um, but I mean, ultimately, obviously it just didn't happen. But I, I honestly, I feel like uh, Dante Johnson did not have a terrible game that game. I, I absolutely agree. Um, 
I actually kind of feel bad for the guy because he kind of got put into a bad situation playing that slot corner. Right. And Solid didn't he, help at all. No, but again, you you don't have K1, you don't have Jamar Taylor, and mostly was hurt as well. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of you know I I feel bad for the guy. You know, he's playing as Cole Beasley was like one of the most underrated receivers in the league, and the dude catches everything. He really is like the I don't know the cheaper version of Julian Edelman. I don't know. He's Julian Edelman that can actually catch the ball. That's all he is. Right. No, you're saying Julian Edelman can't catch the ball? Julian Edelman cannot catch the ball. He's a Super Bowl week. MVP, right? You better put some respect on Julian Edelman. Okay, he has he had the most drop passes last year. Yeah, Debo was and up if, there. I think Debo this year, I think, Debo is top five in drop passes. You're saying Debo can't catch the ball? No, he can't. Oh, I'm just saying. I've heard East Bay Chris just call like this. Cole Beasley is what Trent Taylor should have been, pretty much. So, I mean, we can just leave it at that so we don't get into a whole argument. I love how fans want Trent Taylor to be the next Wes Wilker just because he's a coach. I was like, it's not happening. I, I, I don't understand what reports were talking about. Whenever they said Trent Taylor was the best receiver on the field, I don't, I don't see it. I haven't seen it at all, and I'm going to be happy when he's gone after this season because, because I don't, I don't think he's that good. I really don't. Yeah, he, he hasn't been healthy. He hasn't been. He hasn't done anything since rookie season. So, what's the whole point of keeping him? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, his, it's clear that the, those foot injuries ended up lingering, and I think that that definitely slowed him down. I think, too, I hate to put it this way, I think people just saw a small slot receiver. They saw a small white dude playing in the slot, and they were like, oh, this is Wes Walker. Like, this is yeah. Julian Edelman. Like, duh, because, of course, like, that's not how it works. I'm sorry. <laughs> if it was that easy, every team would do that. That would be the formula every team follows. It's not that easy. Uh, I definitely think that it it goes back to that, that five-game sample at the end of 2017. It did so much good for the team. I think it gave hope. For, I know I can speak for myself, for somebody that was kind of dread, still watching every single game, but dreading Sundays for those years between Harbaugh and Shanahan arriving. Like that, and, and even the beginning of 2017, the people forget how tough it was watching some of those games, Shanahan's first year. And I think it gave us all hope. Like it gave me hope watching Jimmy go out there and feeling like we had a guy that was a franchise guy, having him connect, him and Taylor on third down was money. They had a clear connection there. I just think that it's a great example of a five-game sample being way too much to set expectations based off of. And in the larger sample size, it's appeared that maybe he isn't this guy that we thought he was. And, you know, one of the most basic things a receiver needs to be able to do is create separation, and he just, for whatever reason, can't do it. And I think it's at the point now where it's kind of like like you're saying, I I don't want to say I'd be happy when he's gone. I don't think he's – he hasn't upset me that much, but I can understand why he probably doesn't have a – space on the roster next season you're making me really think about jalen hurd honestly oh man <laughs> it's, it makes me so sad but we just haven't seen him play in like what two years so, now so i wanted to ask you, guys, you know what you know what's crazy is chris so chris sims is like best friends with kyle shanahan these guys have tattoos of each other's names on one another they were college roommates like they're very close so whenever chris sims says anything about the 49ers i always watch it very closely because i don't think that kyle's just leaking stuff through him but I definitely think that there is some insider info that we may not get. And he said that when the 49ers picked Jalen Hurd, which was 
I think the third pick or maybe the fourth pick in the fourth third round. Fourth, yeah, uh, if you could check the exact, but I know it was within five slots because DK went the, the third last pick. pick. DK was the last pick of the second round. Chris Sims said that he had zero doubt in his mind if DK was still on the board three or four picks later. And Seattle traded up. People, I think, forget. They traded with New England to get that pick. So they traded up, leapfrogged the 49ers. Could you imagine an offense that had Debo and DK on it at the same time? And ultimately, you know, they have Ayuk. So I'm not, you know, sitting here, you know, wishing we had DK getting upset about it. And I think Debo fits what they want to do. So it's definitely not like they whiffed on either receiver. But, man, could you imagine if they had DK in place of that production that Hurd hasn't been able to give them the past couple of years? Like, it'd be crazy to see that. Yeah, I've I've seen a lot of takes where, like, I mean, of course, DK is having a season of his life right now. Um, but I, I've seen a lot of takes where I think Shanahan still would have passed on DK and went with Debo just because, you know, DK is just this big, tall, lengthy sort of, you know, speed guy. And Debo is just the super shifty you know, quick on his feet sort of dude as well. Um, great at routes. And I think he was like nicknamed like Slant God or something like that in college. Or um, but I, I, I've seen a bunch of people just say that uh, Shanahan probably would have passed on DK still and uh, chose Debo. And t- it's uh, Her- interesting to think about. It's yeah. kind, of, kind of like one of those what ifs, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Heard was a uh, 67th pick. Okay. And I think it was Metcalf was what, 64th, I think? Um, yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy, and they'd be, but but they probably wouldn't have ended up with Brandon Ayuk. I don't see a way where they invest a first round pick if they already had had those both those guys. Right. And you know, it's not on. You know, it's not. I don't blame the 49 You know, the entire NFL passed on the dude twice, and I will throw this out there too. I don't think that I. Th- well, I respect the hell out of DK, and I hate that the 49ers have to play him two times a year for the next five to ten years. I don't think he would look as good as he looks if he didn't have a quarterback that was as good. Like him and Russell Wilson are a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, DK is so good. He still struggles, I think, when he's running routes where he's going to have to change direction multiple times. And I don't, I think that that three cone ultimately is what made him fall so much in the draft because teams were wary of that. So I right. don't think the 49ers have a quarterback on the roster currently that would be able to take advantage of him going deep and winning over the top. So I, I, right. I definitely want to throw that out there. But I still think that he, it's again, it's like Kinlaw. You can't teach six foot four. Four three speed like that's just unheard of and the guy is just you know like the play that sticks out to me remember when they played seattle and marcel harris broke up a pass that dk was going to dk didn't flinch he literally did not move and harris bounced a good couple yards off of that was one of the most wild things i've ever right. seen the, the safety running full speed into the unsuspecting wide receiver gets ragdolled and the receiver just is kind of like what did somebody touch me like you know looks looking like the way he like behind him was like somebody come here like, yeah, it was crazy, dude. So that was more wild than the him chasing down um Buda Baker. The, yeah, Buda Baker. You think that was think, more you think that was crazier that, than that? No, no, because I think that yes and no. I think speed the speed and so, it's both. Like it's the, the, what amazes me so much about him is that he's that big where he can have somebody bounce off of him and he's that fast where he can run that hundred yard dash. I also think that Buda Baker looked behind him twice. If you watch that play, he looks over his shoulder multiple times as he's getting uh, towards the end zone. If he just keeps running straight, I don't think DK ultimately catches up to him. So that's kind of a reminder, you know, that it's 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 it'd be tough knowing that 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 size human being is bearing down on you. But if you keep looking forward, like that was enough to slow him down for DK to ultimately catch up to him. And if you think in in the in that draft last year, Deontay Johnson was picked right before the Niners and. They picked Jalen Hurd over Terry McLaurin. 
that's the one that stings the most because I honestly yeah. I'm a firm believer in this. Terry McLaurin is the best receiver in that whole class, and I have AJ Brown right after him. I think those two are in a league of their own, personally. And the four, and you know, the guys will see on Sunday. Terry, like the 49ers struggle with wide receiver ones. Terry McLaurin's no joke. That guy is mm-hmm. special. He's. I, I wish they didn't play him. They didn't do much with him last um on yesterday, but he's he's so good. He really is. Yeah, I played him a lot of fantasy last year, so I, I definitely like him. <laughs> I have, I have, <laughs> I have two, and I have in two of my leagues. So, yeah, I yeah, I, I think uh, you know, going back to the picks, I think just everything happens for a reason. I mean, obviously, it's yeah. super cliche, but uh, but I mean, DK was pretty much meant to go to Seattle, I think, just because of what Russ can do. And well, I mean, I should say what Seattle can do because that's basically what Russell Wilson is at this point. It's just the entire team. I saw a lot of posts that were just like, if Russ isn't having an MVP year, the Seattle isn't making the playoffs. So, and I was like, I mean, that makes sense because I mean, the defense, you know, was the worst few weeks back. So I don't know if it's really changed. I haven't looked, but can't really see them going drastically better in you know three weeks. <laughs> so. <laughs> Honestly, this year it's gonna be really the playoffs is gonna be really interesting because every team has that big weakness. They every team does. There's that no there, there is no team added too. There is no team this year that's like, wow, they are dominant on every facet. But Chiefs have their weaknesses. Saints have their weaknesses. Steelers obviously are overrated in my opinion. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, Seattle, they're not – they have the horrible defense. Cleveland, they almost let Titans, on, Titans come back on Sunday. They had a tw- Titans had a 28-3 run in the second half. That's horrible. That's absolutely horrible. I, yeah. This year and um, all was just so weird just because – I honestly I, – I honestly, I honestly can see if – I'd be happy to see the Dolphins make it. I can see the Dolphins actually making it somehow. I can see, let's see here. I can see Buffalo making it. I can see. So uh, it's going to be that one weird team that's going to make it to the Super Bowl this year. Tennessee is going to win the Super Bowl. I'm telling. I'm calling it right now. I'm calling my shot. Tennessee. The Tennessee. I can see that. Super Bowl I, can, this year. T- I like. I like Tennessee. I like Dolphins. I like. I like those teams. I see. I can see Buffalo doing it too. Buffalo has a great team. I mean, they were close last year. They just missed the field goal, I believe. Uh, and the um, was it the championship? Yeah, lost to the Texans. I think the Texans is a wild card. Or yeah. wild card, yeah, not not championship. That was kind. That was kind of. The, the, the game offense too. wasn't nearly as good as it was this year, too. So it's right. like, the defense isn't as good too. So they kind of flip flop. I mean, especially. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say just especially with Josh Allen playing at MVP level. Uh, I mean, things mm-hmm. are drastically drastically going to change. For that team, for sure. So is here is here going to be the Bills or Titans in the Super Bowl versus Packers? That's why I firmly believe Packers no. have probably the best team in the NFC right now. Yeah, See, and people uh, slept on the Packers so much because the 49ers just waxed them both times last year. But they still made the championship game. I said, I, and that's exactly what I said. I said it a couple times on Twitter. I'm sure I could pull my own tweets. Was I was I was having a discussion with somebody. I think it might have been Mike Finn. I don't remember exactly if it was or not. But I was like, dude, like the I know the 49ers beat them, but the 49ers beat almost everybody. And they were, in my opinion, the best team in football, top to bottom. And they just matched up so well with the Packers. If you remove those two games against the Niners, that's a 14-2 and football team. Like, they still were a very good team. 
Yeah. I think that their biggest mistake, it'll be interesting to see what they do going forward. Because imagine if they did spend a first round pick on a wide receiver and they did end up getting, you know, you know, I, I know they weren't going to get Jefferson after he was already gone. I believe the 49ers leapfrogged them when they got Ayuk. But could you imagine if Aaron Rodgers had another receiver other than Devontae Adams that he could trust consistently? Like that. Well, uh, and Adams is going for like, well, 150 yards pretty much per game. That's insane. Best like, wide and receiver in football. Yeah, and he's going for he's averaging like almost a touchdown a game, I believe, right now. So uh, yeah, I, it's insane. Rodgers is, I mean, he's been my one of my top favorite quarterbacks since he was drafted, pretty much. Uh, I think Rodgers started. I think Rodgers wins MVP this year. I believe so. Too. He's at the top Rogers. of my list. He he's playing a lot better than Mahomes this year. I I really do. I really do think this. Yeah, I, I'd say Rodgers, uh, Mahomes, and then Allen, and then Kyle. Yeah. So, but I mean, that's I'm kind of biased against Rodgers too, or for Rodgers. <laughs> Go Bears, Cal Bears, baby. <laughs> so I think that's a great stopping point for. <laughs> are you going to freestyle for us? <laughs> you got you got to give me time to write <laughs> write something down. I'm not freestyling. Like if you give me time, like if you told me before the stream, I was like, okay, I might write something down, but no. <laughs> next next week, Zach will be freestyling for our yep. outro. Just yeah, tell come. your friends, spread the word. For outro. Make sure to come to the uh, 49th Hour P podcast <laughs> stream. I'll, t- I'll tell you what. I'll do the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 90s version for the Niners. <laughs> Anything. I'm fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody.